welcome to this episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. I have another bonus episode this week. I went to a special event at the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware on Marsh Road. That's where I get my books every week on New Comic Book Wednesday. They were one of the shops taking part in the national tour for a signing of Where We Live, a benefit for survivors in Las Vegas anthology series published by Image Comics. Now, if you recall, I did interview J.H. Williams III and his wife, Wendy Wright Williams, about putting together this anthology that came out in late May. On this episode, I had a chance to speak to six of the contributors. The six contributors that I met and spoke to on this episode are Erica Schultz, Matthew Dow Smith, Greg Pock, Leanna Kangas, Justin Jordan, and Monica Gallagher. Everyone was very excited, chatting, and having a great time. So you will hear some talk in the background and some laughter, and the laughter is from the other conversations taking place. So just be aware that it's not quite the same sound quality I have as when I'm interviewing somebody over the phone or through Skype. Each creator I spoke to made some excellent points, and you will be able to hear them just fine. Sarah and Patrick Titus were wonderful hosts of the event at the comic book shop in Delaware. And as I said, everyone had a great time, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of great conversations. And I was glad to be there and have a chance to meet with all these individuals. So before we begin, I'll start with a few introductory remarks about the order of the interviews, their contribution and collaborators, and what page it can be found on. So let's begin here now on Creator Talks. Let's begin with the order of the interviews. First up, Erica Schultz. She contributed Daddy's Little Girl, with art by Liana Kangas, and colors by Jemez Savage, and that's on page 233. Then I speak with Matthew Dow Smith, who contributed two stories, Autopsy, with art by Michael Gatos on page 205, and Monsters, written by Leela Gwen, and that's on page 271. Then I catch up with Greg Pock, who contributed What Can Be Done, Colors by Triona Farrell and Letters by Simon Boland. That's on page 187. Then I speak with Erica Schultz's collaborator for Daddy's Little Girl, Liana Kangas. Justin Jordan and I talk about Everything After that was drawn by Tom Fowler with letters by Taylor Esposito. That's on page 54. My last interview was with Monica Gallagher, the artist and letterer who collaborated with Pierce Elliott on Contacts as the artist and letterer. That's on page 116. Now I ask all the contributors two questions, the same question. One, how did you come up with the idea for your contribution? And two, what can we do to stem the tide of gun violence and mass shootings? And I did that by design so we can get each person's unique point of view. And that is the point of the anthology is not to advocate a certain point of view, but to look at many different points of view and start a discussion. Now the contributors don't profess to be experts on the subject. But they have an opinion, make some great points, and it's worth hearing. Now again, it is very noisy in the room, and that's on me because that's where I decided to do the interview. But you can hear the energy, and you can hear the responses. So let's get started. First up, Erica Schultz. 
Erica, tell me about your contribution to where we live and how you came up with the idea for that contribution. Um, when I was asked to be a part of where we live, uh, the first thing that I thought of was my relationship with my father and his relationship with guns. Uh, the story that I wrote that Liana Kangas had drawn is, uh, save for three very specific things, is autobiographical. My father had a very interesting relationship with guns. He was, uh, you would consider him a gun fanatic, and when these mass shootings that you would see on television of these 50-plus-year-old men shooting up a warehouse or something, every time that I saw the news, I was afraid that it was going to be him. So the story is, uh, is based on a woman who has this fear that her father is going to be one of these mass shooters because of his substance abuse and such, and her constantly reaching out to him and him not having the uh, not having the ability to reach back out to her because of pride, because of anger, because of shame. Yeah, a lot of things that he kept with him that prevented him from admitting his issues and such. And unfortunately, he passed before he was able to um, to figure all of that out. So, But it was a very personal story, and uh, Liana did an amazing job. And I guess the point of that story is, just keep reaching out. Yes, absolutely. To, if there is someone that you know that uh, is on the edge, you don't know, you never really know what's go that's going to be that's going to take somebody to the line and take somebody over the line. And constantly reaching out to somebody is important because even if they don't act on it, they still know that someone is there. You're sort of that anchor bringing them back from the brain. And what do you think should be done to help stem the tide of this ridiculous amount of gun violence in the country? What, is, what can we do? Aside from um, extended background checks, I do not believe that weapons like the AR-15 and other uh, automatic weapons that can be used, they're basically weapons of war. I don't believe that they should be in um, a civilian's arsenal. Uh, you know, a shotgun is extremely dangerous. A handgun is extremely dangerous. But the amount of damage that they can do, you can't take out 500 people. You can't shoot 500 people in, you know, seven minutes with a shotgun. You know, you can't shoot 10 people in three minutes with a handgun. You know, it's... And actually, it has to do with magazine counts. It has to do with the ease with which people can just be taken out. These machines were created for a singular purpose. And the purpose is that no matter where you hit someone, it should be close to fatal because of the velocity of the projectile, the size of the projectile, and all of this. The whole idea is, I'm going to hit you in the shoulder, but maybe if I clip your, your artery that's right in your clavicle, maybe I can get you to bleed out. That's the whole purpose of these weapons. They're made for the battlefield. They're made for killing your enemy, and they're made for just taking 
hang out in it. And, you know, we grew up with a handgun in the house when I was a kid. And when I see these things like kids going to school and shooting up schools, I think, well, I was bullied in school and we had a, a nine mil Beretta 9mm in the house. Dad taught us how to take it apart, how to clean it, how to load it. And yet the, the idea of ever touching that gun when we were not in a life-threatening situation scared us because we knew that that was completely 100% off limits. So these kids getting a hold of guns that their parents have, not being taught responsible gun ownership, parents just sort of leaving guns out as opposed to having them uh, locked in lockers, and guns like this where you can get a bump stock for $200 and take out hundreds of people. This, there needs to be changes. You look at Australia. There was a huge massacre in the 90s in Australia. And they banned all assault weapons. And it was a it was a big problem. It was an issue with uh, it was a political issue, but they did it. And guess what? Australia is still on the map. People are still living in Australia. The world has not stopped turning because you don't have an assault weapon in your closet. So the I believe that people have the right to own a gun. Great. I don't believe that they have a right to own a weapon of destruction, which is what these automatic weapons are. The other point is that each of us can do is to reach out to someone who's alone, who's isolated. If they're not communicating with you, keep reaching out to them because it's so hard to predict these things. I mean, we have to do more to help those who are suffering from mental problems that may have access to a gun, and we want to limit access to those guns, but still keep reaching out because it's really hard to predict who's going to do what when. Mental health is very important, but the other thing is that you look at people who are just sort of overlooked. Uh, case in point, my dad was former military. He was a former auxiliary, auxiliary policeman. I had had multiple welfare checks on him. And a lot of times the cops just sort of shrugged it off. Ah, oh, he's a former cop. He's a former, you know. We can't live in this society where things are just sort of shrugged off anymore. Can't do that, especially when we're in. The, it's the second day of June, and already how many mass shootings we've had? It's, this is an epidemic, and this is something that should be stemmed. But until or unless people agree that these types of weapons should not be allowed in a civilian arsenal, then it's nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. We can write a million comics. We can write a million books. We did Love is Love. I, I personally was not involved, but there was Love is Love for the Orlando shooting. And that came out, and it was a great book. And guess what? We're doing it again with Where We Live for Las Vegas. So, obviously, it, it hasn't changed. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Matt, yes. tell me how you can put the contribution for Where We Live. Well, it's going to sound really weird, but I, I mean, I I knew they were going to do the anthology, but I hadn't really thought about it. Michael Gatos, um, 
co-creator of Jessica Jones, who's a very, very old friend of mine, uh, sent me an email and was like, you know, they asked if I draw a story, could you write something for me? So um, I said, sure, of course, because I love working with Michael. And then um, a couple months passed, and I really hadn't thought about it at all. And in the meantime, another writer, uh, Lilo Gwen, who's an old friend of mine, sent me an email saying, hey, I'm going to write a story for this. Vegas anthology, later, could you I'm maybe draw it? And I'm like, as long as they don't mind me writing one and drawing a different one, which they, they didn't. And it, you know, it literally kind of came down to um, them sending me email saying, we need to know what you're doing. And Michael and I having a very quick sort of thematic discussion of, all right, what, what do you got? What do you want to say? And we kind of hit upon the idea of and I, I hate to say I don't know which one of us came up with the idea, the idea of uh, an autopsy of a, of a handgun. Um, and, you know, kind of just kind of kicking back the imagery of it uh, back and forth between us. And then he kind of came up with the, the, the exclamation point at the end, which I don't want to give away. But, you know, that I know was not my idea. That was all Michael. Um, that what what this was all building to uh, was Michael's idea, and then literally it was. I just went off and kind of did a little research and wrote and just wrote almost a. I like to think is a a, a tone poem um, on a theme, and um, you know did some research in the history of guns and things like that. And I felt very strange about it because I've never really worked that way before. It was very seat of my pants. Um, but it was Michael, and you know, it's really good. Yes. So you just give him anything, and I, I did. Um, normally, when I write, I, I try very hard not to be specific because I don't want to step on the artist's toes. There was no stepping on any artist's toes on this one. It was just like, just do something. Just here's a big idea of what could be on this page. Go nuts. And Michael, you know, started sending me pages, and it's just absolutely stunning because you know, it's Michael. Um, so yeah, so that's basically that's how that story came about. It's a, it was a completely organic, very, very um, unpretentious sort of sort of approach to writing a comic. And you did a second one, Drew. I drew I drew another one with uh, Leela Gwen, um, great writer, great young writer. Uh, wrote um, the focus is more on. Um, sort of self-imposed mental health stigma. So it's just a really interesting sort of perspective on, on gun violence. Um, it was really good. It was just, a, again, it was another thing which is like, hey, we need these pages and I just got to sit down and try something new. I, I used a very different style for it just as an experiment. And very immediate, very fast and, and, you know, tried not to, you know, belabor, belabor any of the art. It was a lot of fun. It was a very good story. Very, very powerful story. What do you think should be done to study the tide of gun violence that you see It's always, I mean, that's such a difficult question. I mean, it's it's such an unbelievably important topic, and it, but it's just so polarizing. I mean, there are lots of things that could be done, and it, it does... I'm not a political thinker, particularly. The, the trick is getting everyone to agree on what the, what the solution is. So I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if I have a solution. I don't, I don't know if I'm smart enough to have a solution. 
Um, uh, what's interesting about doing a project like this, where we were really trying to, really trying to bring in different perspectives and not not have it be polemic, um, and just have everyone sort of explore explore the ideas around gun violence. You know, I I don't think you can tell anyone what to think about this stuff anymore because everybody already knows what they think. The only thing, the only thing you can do is try to give somebody a different perspective or give them something different to think about, and what the solution to it is. I don't know. So I wish I did. If I had a solution to it, I would sleep a lot better. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Greg, tell me about your contribution to where we live and how you came up with the idea. Right. Um, well, first off, I was uh, just really. Uh, Honored to be invited to contribute. You know what I mean? Like these these kinds of anthology projects mean a lot to me. I mean, I'm very grateful to the folks who organize them. We're, we live in a crazy world, and there's a lot of stuff that um, where I think we feel like we're helpless. We can't do anything, but we can. And the the folks who organize these kinds of anthologies have figured out a way to make a difference to try to raise some money, you know, for folks and raise some awareness. And so I'm. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very happy to contribute, and, but but they're hard, you know. Like I I was thinking about this, and I would spend as long writing a three or four page contribution to one of these anthologies that I would spend writing a full twenty or twenty 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 two or twenty, 20 page uh, comic script, um, just because. It's a real challenge to come up with something concise that relates to a real world issue that's not facile or or uh, or, or or just bad. You know what I mean? Like like you know like it's just. Uh, I mean also because these are a lot of these are real world issues where you know it, it, they're just. Um, you don't want to be exploitative. You don't want to be, you know, like there's a lot of things you don't want to do. You don't want to screw up, right? Um, so finding a, finding something that feels honest uh, and uh, and works within the three or four pages is a challenge. Um, but so with this one, I I uh, I found myself thinking about. Um, just some of the facts I've been thinking about, or you know, the stuff I've learned about uh, about gun control uh, legislation, and the fact that we all seem to have, or there is, there's historically been this attitude that nothing can be done. You know what I mean? That, that because we've seen time and time again there are these mass shootings, there are efforts to do some kind of common sense gun control um, that everybody agrees on. You know that. that 60 to 90 percent of the country, 60 to 97 percent of the country agree on, on the, a lot of these common sense uh, things, and yet they don't happen, you know? Um, so I, you know, I found myself thinking, like, the first thing I thought of was, is there a way to kind of lay some of that out um, in, and do it in, in just with kind of simple hand-drawn graphics, you know, almost like the way uh, XKCD does, you know what I mean? Like the, the web XKCD. So that was my first initial thought. And then the more I started digging into it and thinking about it, I, um, I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I had this notion of like uh, doing some kind of allegory. Like, and so it, it, it was also something that I, I decided I was going to draw, you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> with my limited drawing skills. Um, but so my story ends up being about um, 
you see these little kind of stylized people in the stylized desert landscape, and there are these giant blocks that are dropping out of the sky periodically. You know, and so these tiny little people are trying to figure out uh, this is what you're seeing visually. They're trying, they're, they're seeing these blocks fall down, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, and in the uh, in, in in the captions, it's talking about the real world and about you know like these these incidents happen. There's this, you know, Congress says they're going to do something. Republicans, Democrats both say they're going to address this, you know, some narrow issue that they can all agree on, like banning, banning uh, um, uh, bump stocks or something like that, which supposedly nobody wants. Supposedly nobody wants bump stocks. Everybody agrees they should be banned, and yet it doesn't happen. And then there's another, the next shooting happens, and then there's other, there's another, you know, some small thing that they, they think they're going to do. They're going to, they're going to fix the. Uh, um, the uh, the uh, government agency that tracks, uh, you know, the, the tracks criminals and, and prevents them from buying guns because that's a notoriously underfunded uh, uh, organization, you know, agency that doesn't effectively keep guns out of the hands of criminals the way they should, um, of convicted, you know, violent criminals. Um, and then nothing happens, you know. Uh, and, and so you see, you kind of see those facts come up and you see these people grappling with that. But then in the end... Um, you know, the, it notes, you know, like in the, in the captions, you know, we talk about uh, the fact that incremental things do happen, you know what I mean, and that, that in the wake of Parkland, these kids... These incredible kids got uh, um, enough support that they were able to push the, their state legislature and their governor to sign a bill with some limited, small, you know, uh, uh, so-called sensible gun control legislation. And it, you know, and it, it's not the be-all and the end-all. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it's a step, you know. And, and, and basically, I just wanted to do something that said, Never let anybody tell you but nothing. That's, that's, you know, that, and, and that's so that's my little. That's that's what this little story does. And in the in the images at the end, you see these little people, tiny little people, building the, you know, building a tiny little protective structure. You know, against these giants that are down. You know, and it's and and so it was a way to kind of try to visualize this effort, you know? I think we live in a world where we all want a dramatic finish to everything. We want a quick solution. We, we live in a world where you click on something and it's done. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, everybody wants to just click and get that satisfaction and that's it. Um, but the world doesn't work that way. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, Everything is step by step. It's incremental, and, um, and, and so I wanted to do something that kind of reflected that. But, um, but yeah, it was. A, and so I drew it, and then uh, Triona Farrell, who uh, is this amazing colorist I've been working with on the uh, Met Cadet U book, uh, she she colored it and made my uh, made my simple line art um, live and breathe, gave it some texture and some depth. And then Simon Bowler, who is a letterer I've worked with on a million things, lettered it. So. Um, yeah, everybody, you know, gave their time, and uh, I'm just really grateful to everybody for helping out. And since it's going to take incremental steps to do all this, to make change, it'll take time. What can each of us do to change the environment right now, trying to get more control over guns and stem the tide of this national Well, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the expert, so I can't, uh, you know, like, I, I, I think everybody's got to find their own their own way to to do what they think is effective. I mean, some practical things that I've that I've done and what that other folks have done are um, well. First and foremost, vote. 
you know, register to vote and vote. You know, like that. We still live in a democracy, uh, and we can still change the world by voting. You know, um, and get your friends and family to vote because every, if everybody who cared about things voted, we would have a very different country. So, um, so actually, getting out and voting. Is don't wait for somebody else to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and don't be cynical. You know what I mean. And don't, 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 don't pretend like voting doesn't matter because voting matters. It's, I mean, like that kind of cynical, sort of like too cool for school. You know, like nothing will ever change. I have no patience for that. You know, and nobody should have any patience for that because. Every day, people are out there proving that things do change. I've had to pull when, when you care, just take that effort. You know, take, take that, take that five minutes. Go to vote.org and register to vote and vote. But then, then you know, other things folks can do is you can give to the organizations that are helping out people, you know, victims. You know, uh, and and this this anthology is a benefit for victims of the um, survivors in Las Vegas. Um, you can uh, you, you can go you know dig up info about you know organizations that are. Um, out there spreading the word and lobbying for uh, the causes you care about. Um, there's lots of nonprofits and uh, and also you know political lobby groups that are out there hustling and support the candidates that you think are uh, are um, are going to fight for the things you care about. Um, you know, like I I think that. There, yeah, I mean, and that, like, actually giving money to candidates, you know, like, even small dollar amounts, you know, like, our system works on money. That's the, you know, that that's it's 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 a, a sad but absolutely true fact that politicians, um, politicians are bought every day, and so if you want to make a difference, try buying some politicians, you just a few bucks here and there. I mean, that that sounds cynical, but it's just facts. You know what I mean? Like, like put put some money into it. And uh, you know, try to push it that way too. Um, but yeah, I mean, and if you're, you know, uh, I, I think there's there are people on the ground in uh, local communities who are doing practical work, both organizing political organizing work and also just helping people. You know what I mean? Um, so for any issue that you care about, you can probably find somebody in your community, some organization in your community that's doing something really worthwhile and kicking them a few bucks can make a huge difference. Or, just, or giving, giving your time yourself. So that's my, that's my, that's my Boy Scout civic, civic, uh, civic duty speech for the day. <laughs> thank you, Greg. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Donna, tell me about your contribution to Where We Live. How you came up with the idea? Okay, um, well, luckily I got to work with Erica Schultz, and so she came up with the idea. Um, and she actually came to me at a convention uh, last year, and um, asked if I wanted to be a part of it, because her and I kind of have similar backstories with our fathers, and it's a little bit inspired, I think, by her personal experiences, and I really felt connected to it um, when she let me read it. So I got really lucky, I think, <laughs> personally. Um, it was really cathartic to work on the film as well. Um, I kind of felt like a piece of my dad was in it as well. That's great. That was one of those various stories in this anthology, and some of them are based on eyewitnesses, some of them are based on what's going through in the legislation, but in your case, it's a personal story, which is you know, one of the great things about the book. What do you think we should do, what can we do 
to help stem the tide of this mass gun violence? What can we do as individuals to try to make some change? Because it's been an uphill battle. We've really seen a lot of people talk about making change in, in Congress and the Senate, and then nothing happens. So we have to do something. What should we do? I guess um, my biggest thing is getting rid of the mentality about what you can't do. Uh, you know, that you can't make a contribution because one person can, because eventually it becomes more than one person, especially if we get everyone put together. So, um, and spreading the knowledge and education about it as much as possible is probably the best way. Um, this book was really kind of hard to work on because of this. And I'm actually from Florida, and the laws are very loose there, and it makes me very uncomfortable. You know, I had a cat from that kind of situation, so. Anything I can do to help with where I can, and you know, I mean, social media helps a lot with spreading the news. And, you know. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts that are very jumbled about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made your contribution by working on this story to help get the word out, get people thinking about different points of view, because you're not taking a hard stand one way or the other, but something has to be done. And this is your way of addressing it from a personal standpoint. And we all appreciate you making that contribution. Thank you. And thanks for interviewing me. Thank you. Yeah. Justin, tell me about your contribution of where we live and how you come up with the idea for your contribution? Uh, so I, I did a story. So what is what is detailed in the story is that several months before the Las Vegas shootings, uh, several members of my family attended a wedding actually in um, Las Vegas. And while they're there, they made friends with a waitress bartender that they ended up really liking. They just talked to her every day, and they, they kind of became friends. Uh, so when the shooting happened, that same waitress actually made the national news uh, because she comforted a, a guy who ultimately died after he had been shot. She just stayed with him the whole time because he didn't have any family with him and stuff. Um, and that just that really kind of impacted me and, and it got me to thinking about and this is kind of what the story is about is that, that everybody is connected right this, this happened in Las Vegas which is thousands of miles from me but there is a connection to people in my family not not a direct connection I don't know anyone that got shot but like you know that connection is there and if you look at the entirety of everyone who was at that concert in Las Vegas like that is everywhere those, those deaths affect everyone like the, the web of connections is in there so I wanted to kind of dramatize that in comic book form, uh, concisely. So we did a we did a two page story. I mean, Tom Fowler about it. And what do you think we should do as individuals to help stem the tide of gun violence, mass violence? What can we do? Anything? Uh, you know, it's a tricky it's a tricky question, right? Especially on the, on the level of individuals. Like it's one of those deals where I myself am a gun owner. I am from rural Pennsylvania, and you just acquire guns as your life goes on. I uh, I have bought one pistol, which is the only gun I've ever purchased in my life. I have a Target pistol that I bought ten or fifteen years ago, but I have a good half a dozen guns because if you are a person who lives in a rural area, and certainly if you're a guy, you will just inherit guns. Um, and I mean, that's that's part of why it's complex, right? Like, those guns are not listed on any registry anywhere. Like, if, if somebody wanted to take away those guns and I didn't want to give them, they would have no way to know I had them beyond listening to this podcast. 
or inspecting. Um, so that's the kind of thing. I, I absolutely think we need more sensible laws. Like, there, there's not a particularly good reason that bump stocks are still legal and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'm fairly familiar with guns, and well, I see people suggesting gun control stuff that, like, just doesn't seem like it's going to have the effect that you want. Like, uh, you know, if you say, let's ban AR-15s, like, yeah, maybe. But, like, understand that an AR-15, there are a dozen other guns that do exactly what the AR-15 does. Like, what you want to do is ban semi-automatic rifles or ban clips or whatever that, and that stuff may work. Um, but even if you if you get the political will to do that, you've also got to look at the problem of the existing extent of the gun thing in America, and that, that's kind of the deal, is, like, there are 300 million-ish guns, probably, um, and, and to visualize that, I would say if you live in a city and you get stuck in rush hour traffic, just imagine every car you see is a gun, and it will give you some sense of how big that actually is. So... Any solution we have is not going to satisfy anyone. Like you've got, you, we've got to be prepared to compromise. We've got to be prepared to do that kind of stuff. And but I think we do. I think we do need to do. I think there is absolutely sensible gun laws that 90% of the population on both sides of the aisle will be happy with. I think right now we're being don dominated. Certainly, like the idea that the NRA is dominating that conversation is true. But at the same time, like. Whenever people say, like, no one wants to take away your guns, like, yeah, some people do, but, like, they're the minority, and it's the same thing, like, it's a minority of actual humans who think you should have any gun ever, like, those are two ends of the extreme, but most people, and, you know, polls have showed it, are fairly in the same area about, like, yeah, we should have, we should do this, this, and this, and we could do that thing. Um, but it's also tricky because when we talk about gun violence, we're almost certainly talking about two things. We tend to really notice it when there are these kinds of shootings. Um, but that is one kind of problem. Whereas the 30,000 deaths we have from guns every year are not from mass shootings as a rule. We have far too many mass shootings, but, you know, there's the overall gun thing. And I don't know that the solutions for those two problems would be the same. And I also don't know how solvable certainly the mass shooting is. Like, you know, it, it's one of these things where maybe if you are eliminating the sales of semi-automatic high-powered rifles, maybe that will stop mass shootings. But at the same point, there have been millions of those sold. So are we at a point where any attempt to do that is going to be ineffective just because they exist? And I legitimately don't know. But that's also the problem, is like, we don't do gun research because we don't do, CDC doesn't do gun research because they're not allowed to, and that's a problem. So, to get back to the actual question, on levels of individual, I think voting for people that actually do uh, deliver on what they talk about in terms of gun stuff uh, is probably all we can do, and making, you know, making your opinions known and aware. Because um, otherwise, you know, I, I don't know what else you can do, and it, it's one of those things where it's just, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, there's sensible stuff that most people want done, and I don't see a particularly viable path to get it done, and I kind of hope I'm wrong. I, I Honestly, the Parkland kids kind of give me hope because they, they seem adapted to the world in a way that I know I am not. Um, uh, they seem to have a native grasp of, of how to communicate with people in a new medium. Uh, and more importantly, they seem, and that generation seems interested and active in a way that I think is going to be very meaningful. Well, thanks for the contribution in the book. I think that's a great place to start. 
Or another thing you can do is to everyone telling their story, and you told a very personal story of an actual person that was trying to help a victim of the shooting, and that will help start the conversation and hopefully get people talking so we can at some point reach a compromise and a solution to make things better than they are now. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think the, the inability, and it's not just limited to gun stuff, but the inability to have a conversation a lot of the time I think is the big thing that's, that's hurting us. Agreed. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, man. Monica, tell me about your contribution to where we live and how you came up with the idea. Well, I kind of had an easy way out where um, I was asked to distribute something, but um, I hadn't decided what I wanted to do yet. And then um, they paired me up with the writer. He had a story done, and when I read it, I really loved it because it was um, it was all about kind of your um, impression of what's going on in the greater world and then the people you care about in general through your devices. So it was all um, basically how you connect through social media to find out like some actual things that's happened and how kind of colors your whole world and, and how much we're putting into these like tiny little devices, how much meaning and how much they're connected to like this greater meaning of like really great things that can happen and then really horrible things that can happen in the wink of an eye. It actually heightens the anxiety about what's happening because you expect an immediate response right. versus an email that might take a while or the old snail mail, but now it's like, well, I haven't heard something back. Like It's been 30 seconds. So I hope they're okay because you always think that device is with the person. And when people read the story, they'll see what happens, but it does make people even more anxious sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think people have already forgotten. I mean, I'm of an age where I remember when you couldn't reach people by phone or, you know, people didn't have phones in their cars right. and people didn't call you and tell you when they got somewhere. That was just, you know, they kind of trusted that you were okay. And now we're always scared that they're never okay if we don't hear from them instantly, which is weird that we've created that kind of anxiety yeah. for ourselves. That's right. You know? Yeah. 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 What do you think we can do as individuals to help bring more awareness to the problem of gun violence and how do we stem the tide of such events like this where there was mass murder, mass gun violence? I don't, you know, it's so difficult because I think everyone's aware, but no one's really going to do anything lasting about it. Um, I mean, I, I think they will eventually, but I just, it's not happening fast enough, obviously. It's never, I mean, based on what we've already been through, but I just, I don't know, as the individual, I think it's, it's just important to keep talking about it, keep bringing it up, keep bringing up solutions, because people want to kind of minimize it as either like all guns or no guns and then right. use that as a way to stop talking about it. So I think if we can just keep breaking it down into logistics and what background checks mean and what, you know, responsible gun ownership means and all of that stuff, like I think if we can break it down into like all the issues and get people to talk about all of them, maybe that will help, but I, I don't know. Because people are so willing to just like minimize it so that they can either say like, oh, well, then take my guns away, so no, forget about it, I'm not talking about it. Well, when we see events like that happen on the news, or where, God forbid, some of us are actually mixed up in them, it does definitely bring it much more in your face and humanize it because people suffer and die from it. And at least this book is making it more of a, a humanized situation where you're getting to read the personal stories. Some cases, I witness events. In some cases, you know, uh, allegorical stories, but it really does help put a, a face to all this. It's not just 
a tweet or a news report. There's actual right. people involved, emotions involved, lives are lost, loved ones are lost. So I think that really helps to keep the conversation going. And I hope it does keep going because we tend to move on to the next thing and the next thing because there's just so much coming at us. Yeah, I mean, that. and that's what's so nice about this book too is that it came out after this has happened and we're yeah. still talking about it because this is, you know, this is a horrible thing that it scars people forever. I mean, that's the effects of yeah. it are forever. I mean, that's what's one of the things that's so horrible but so great about the kids in Florida that are, you know, bringing so much awareness to this is because you shouldn't just forget about it. You should just read a headline and forget about it. Yeah, don't and wait for the next shooting. Right, or wait for somebody else to do something. Or think you can't do anything. Right. They did. They did something. It, it kept the awareness up. Exactly. Keeps the conversation going. And hopefully, at some point, we can all come to a compromise and do something to make things better than they are now. We have to. We have to. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. We have to do something. <laughs> thank you, Monica. And there they are. I wish to thank Erica Schultz, Matthew Dow Smith, Greg Pock, Leanna Kangas, Justin Jordan, and Monica Gallagher for their contributions to the anthology Where We Live and taking the time to be interviewed for this show. And with a little luck, I should have a couple of those contributors back on the show to talk about their other projects and themselves as creators in more detail in the near future. Coming up next this Thursday, nine-year-old wonder kid Bryce Bullock talking about his comic book, Daddy Longlegs and the Inchworm. Please join us. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot Devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe, the content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback, you can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at CreatorTalksPod. That's at CreatorTalksPod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, CreatorTalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts, and videos and other written articles on the website, CreatorTalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>